going on. Welcome to the Meeple Syrup Show. We're on episode 70, and we're claiming diplomatic immunity. That's right. First of all, we're very excited to have our one and only diplomat, our beloved, not just the beard, but the man, Dylan Kirk. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing okay. I feel like someone knocked me on the head and kind of like stashed me away in a box for four months. It's been really, really weird, but it's good to see you again, man. Oh, it's so good to see you. And for anyone who doesn't know, uh, Dylan is, well, I don't know if we're ever allowed to say where he is because he's like a spy, but right now he's back in Paris. I am right? now back in Paris, yes. I'm right. now, I've done a little bit of a tour. All right. So, And obviously, also, this show would not exist without uh, my friend and co-host, Sen Fung Lim. How are you doing, Sen? I'm doing all right. It's a good day today. It's a good day to... Video cast something. <laughs> oh, no, I was I was thinking about you today. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. five guys. I was actually thinking more about Tanya, but yeah, that sounds really say, But I appreciate that you worded it that way. Yeah. Dude, that's like my daughter's favorite restaurant ever. It's also Daryl's wife's favorite restaurant, which is yeah, why when I get it, I always think about Tanya. But telling Daryl that I'm thinking about Tanya is really kind of awkward. So. Yeah, I, I appreciate you saying it that way. And yes. uh, I'll let Tanya know... Uh, that you had five guys without us. I was thinking about her <laughs> in my tummy. It all just sounds wrong. Yeah, it doesn't really sound right. You thought about her with a nice Chianti. So, Dylan, over the last four months of us not getting to see you, has there been, I'm putting you on the spot, I realize, but has there been a game you got to play? <laughs> You know, every once in a while we get to play, but the uh, what's been really fun is actually the kids have been inventing their own stuff. Oh, awesome! So, you know, in in following Sen's kind of uh, using uh, what was the game that you're using Jenga for? Um, dread. The, yeah, dread exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, dread. <laughs> They've been playing around with with Jenga, trying to make it do new and interesting things, but. Uh, yeah, like I said, I feel like I've been knocked out for the past four months. It's been uh, it's been quite a whirlwind. But what about you guys, Daryl? Yeah, well, I mean, I've been playing a a variety of games, and then actually I've been, as mentioned, uh, designing a lot lately. Uh, my uh, friend Adrian, um, who I've co-designed a few games with, um, has just kind of declared that he wants to focus more on design. So oh, I'm good. really excited about that. So we've been I am meeting because that guy is a good designer. Yeah. So we're meeting at least once a week, sometimes more, and chatting and stuff. And then I just started co-designing. This is hot off the press. The last couple of days, um, a good friend of mine who I've mentioned on the show, Bryce Hunter, we got chatting and we're starting to make some card games together. I'm really oh, excited. Oh, Bryce, that's cool. Uh, just because nice. I I love any excuse to pick his brain. He is a uh, a mobile phone uh, game maker, and we're gonna we're gonna try to make some uh, card games together. Nice. How about you, Sam? What do you been uh, up to? I well, we've been working on um, Jesse and I are finalizing uh, the first story arc for Outlander, and just getting that down, and then we'll work on the other three. There's 16 episodes in the TV show, so we're, run, we're running four episodes per arc, uh, and they'll all be included in the in the first edition or the you know the Outlander edition. And then as the show progresses, we'll add more content. Um, let's see what else is there. Uh, we're working hard on Godzilla. It's funny. We just um, came up with this one sort of idea and. We've been kind of stalled on it for a while, for a long while, and we sort of shelved it. And then Christmas came, and Ed was busy with his family, and so we came back a little fresh, a little dis disappointed that it wasn't ready yet. But then we sort of had this kind of silly thing where, hey, what if this happened? 
and we did it, and it sort of worked. Uh, and, that, and this is all from listening to player feedback, uh, just what they liked and didn't like, not necessarily uh, them giving us particular solutions, but in giving us feedback, then we were able to come up with ways to clean up the game. And then I just played it with Jesse last week, and even more streamlining. I'll play it with Scott tomorrow after we work on a presentation for work. And uh, yeah, so it's everything's kind of coming together. We're just putting together the art for uh, Godfather right now. I actually uh, I got one of my friends hired. It was hilarious. Sweet. Nate was asking, "Hey, do you know any artists who aren't Josh Capel?" <laughs> no, and it's just because Josh was already tapped to do some work for them. And he said, "No, no, Josh is going to be very busy on a major project. Um, I know how much you guys like him, but got anybody else?" And so, if you guys remember Ron, who did the art for this thing here, uh, just the, if you can see that poster. Ah, Midnight Man. Yeah, so Ron did that art, and Midnight Man's never uh, become anything yet. Um, who knows, maybe it still will. But Ron did that art for uh, myself and Eves, just sort of like on a small commission. And uh, when I showed Nate... Um, Ron's uh, portfolio of stuff, and he does amazing things. Like if you ever get a chance to go to Ron Guyatt, G-U-Y-A-T-T dot com, uh, or um, CreativeFable.com, you'll see his portfolio, and he does great maps of like imaginary worlds, like the Jurassic Park Island. He does uh, fake movie posters. Um, his Shaun of the Dead stuff is amazing, and uh, he does all sorts of really neat kind of sort of Art Nouveau, but very tech Art Nouveau kind of stuff. And so when Nate saw that, Nate's like, do you think you'd want to do a comic book cover? And I'm like, yeah, because that's probably every artist's dream is to have their art on a comic book cover. So hopefully that all pans out for Ron, and uh, he can remember me when he's some famous comic book art guy. Or when my, my headphones fall off my head. He can also remember me then. Um, other than that, we're working hard with Pretzel Games to get... Um, uh, not Flick'em Up. Flick'em Up's already done, and it's not our game. Uh, we're getting ready to get uh, the follow-up to Flick'em Up to market uh, Gen Con... SN release, I think it's going to be an SN release for our junk art. So that's what we're doing. That's we're really quite busy. And tomorrow we have a meeting with Upper Deck. And yeah, that should go well too. Very cool, very cool. It's lots happening. Well, yeah. Uh, let's not delay this too much longer. Although one of our guests is trying to boot in. So, uh, but meanwhile, we might as well let our viewers know what kind of the theme of the show is. And it's not really a theme. It's actually a little different, as we mentioned, diplomatic immunity. We're gonna uh, get our rant on, get a little bit of a, a debate going on a few different things around the game industry, about design, um, different perspectives, and so you know, uh, I have been known once or twice to play devil's advocate. Uh, I don't know about uh, Sam, but I definitely know Dylan likes a, a nice little debate once in a while. You know, he, he's Here a diplomat for a reason. Yeah. Um, and we have invited a couple friends of ours that we know don't hold back the punches, uh, have experience in the industry, and aren't uh, aren't afraid to say what they think. So we're really excited to have back on the show, both of them have been here before, Jim Pinto, who I like to say is the least known, most designer guy I know. I, I just looked at the RPG uh, page, designer page for Jim, and he has 19 pages, 19 yeah, pages of design credits. That's hilarious. <laughs> Over yeah. 180 design credits in the RPG world, let alone board games and, and writings of different types. So we're excited to have Jim Pinto on the show. And once he gets here, because he dropped out... Hey, oh, there he is. Like here, just on perfect timing. Travis works. <laughs> from Action Phase Games. Oh my god, it's Travis. And so we're excited. Travis and yes. Jim are here. Uh, first off, I'm going to jump to Travis to start us off real quick and just 
Congratulations. Tell our viewers why today is such a good day. Uh, I'm assuming Dream World is kind of good, good news. Yeah, we, uh, <laughs> are, we have a Kickstarter up um, <clears throat> that just funded uh, about an hour ago, which is nice. That's, yeah. that's the Meeple Syrup Bump. Yeah. <laughs> or that super famous artist lady we're working with. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> One of the two. Congrats on that. Uh, and uh, Jim, uh, if he unmutes himself, we can hear you. Uh, Jim, how's that? Little, That's good. Now we can hear you. you. You've had a few Kickstarters going on. Give us a real quick uh, recap on on some of the Kickstarters that people either just missed or can get in on. Um, I just finished one called the $1 Kickstarter. Um, you you bid a dollar and you get a game. You don't know what the game's going to be, but you submit a title and we all vote on it. And So the one that won was called City of Masks, so I'm designing that game right now. Um, and then I'm going to do a second round with that to pay for art once the game is done. Um, but that won't be a dollar on the second round. No, no, no. Um, <laughs> and then the one that's going right now is halfway through. It's called uh, Forget Me Not Florida. So I'm making fun of the whole Florida man. Urban it's legend hilarious. mythos, you gotta, if you will. You gotta look it up. It's hilarious. Yeah, it's pretty it's, funny. So we find it already. Stuff are, they're pretty funny. <laughs> They're, they're brutal, actually. Like, like yeah. as a Canadian looking down, looking at that, it's like I never want to go to Florida now. Thanks. Yeah. yeah, I don't know why anybody would. I don't know why people are there. It doesn't. We're make up sense. there. I was just gonna say. That's right. I Travis from Florida. Your dad's still there, right, Travis? Yeah, my dad has this. You, I, I don't know if you guys ever tune into the Alaboom, but I, I Lance, what Lance is. One of his favorite things to talk about is my dad's relationship with this man named Cuba. Cuba. That just sort of a wandered, perfect, off, perfect wandered off the street in a pair of swimming trunks, and my dad let him live in his, like a trailer in his backyard. And recently, That sounds so Florida. And recently... A, Jim, you got to include that in some scenario. Cause that, he, he hasn't had sex with an animal yet. It's it's not, a good, not good enough for Florida, but go on. Uh, well, Cuba, Cuba was walking, I uh, was cleaning the yard, and a, a, a possum fell from like 30 feet and hit him in the face and broke a bunch. I think that's pretty Florida. <laughs> that's a Florida story. As soon as the raccoon showed up, it became a yeah. Florida story. Yeah, possum in there? That's, a that's possum. Florida. Okay, so uh, this, um, this show is called Diplomatic Community. Uh, a, because Dylan's here, and he's a diplomat, and by nature of him being here, we can grant the two of you immunity for anything you say for the uh, duration of the show. Yeah, because luckily no one actually watches our show, so yeah. you're but pretty it, safe. It will be on archive, so you may you may want to, you know... You may want to protect the innocent by changing names or something, but um, I think the whole point of today is Daryl getting you guys on a rant. Yeah. He loves it when you guys rant. So, yeah. so I, I have a few questions. I know a few other people have questions. I'm going to start us off. and uh, I'm going to start off with, uh, let's go with Jim. And, and uh, I'd like Travis to go after on the same question. But I'm, I'm curious if you could tell, and you don't have to say names, but give your, your horror story experience with a publisher. Because you, you both have a plethora of experience. God. Give a horror story. <laughs> horror story for uh, loaded, loaded question. I know that's the whole night, so we might as well just get this party started. I, so, Jim, you're on the spot first. You can change names. Oh, I don't need to change names. I don't. I hate these people. I hate these people with a passion. <laughs> I want to see them drowned. Um, I, I there's so many stories. I think the best one that I can think of. I'm gonna tell this story because it's just absolutely it's a perfect example of the kind of people you should not hire for a business. We had a manager at Asshat, which is codenamed for AEG. We had a manager at Asshat named Mary Bias, and she is the world's stupidest human being. She used to leave her computer on all week long and then wonder why it was lagging around Thursday. Why is nothing working? I don't understand. So she would go and get Kevin, and Kevin would go and come back to her office and say, have you restarted? 
every single time it was, have you restarted? She would restart, everything would work fine. That was the system for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. The graphics department had a computer that, um, well, I guess you would say it was maybe about five, six years too old to be doing what it was doing, and one day it caught fire, and smoke was pouring out the back. They went to Mary to tell her what was happening, and she says, have you tried restarting? <laughs> That's awesome. I don't know if that's necessarily the kind of story you were looking no, for. That's perfect. That's perfect. That was that was uh, that yeah. yeah that was one, that was that's just a classic. It's one of that's, my favorite that's stories. Perfect. That's a perfect startup. All Have right. You tried restarting your fiery computer. <laughs> Travis, you got one. Uh, I mean, I only have one. That's the problem. <laughs> I've only I, I worked with one. I, I'll say this: I worked with one publisher, and I got into publishing right afterwards. <laughs> can you tell us? Can you tell us why? Yeah, exactly. Come on, bring that out a little bit. Because I want my games to succeed. Okay. And all right, all what right. do you, Dylan? Dylan, yeah. uh, Dylan, you got a question for? I don't, don't want to be the Millie Vanilli of board games. What? Okay. I want to there follow you go. up on that. Like, what is the Millie Vanilli of board games? What are publishers doing wrong to promote their board games? Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Travis. So, so I mean, I, I think in today's marketplace, in today's market, you have to be aggressive. Like, I mean, we live in the Internet age. Everyone's screaming, look at me, look at me. People, people, are, uh, people are, you know, very self-important now, and a person can just sort of decide that they have celebrity and they have a celebrity. Sorry, I'm waking up my daughter. So... Um, so I think that, like, taking the time to actually put yourself out there, you know, to, to, to make as much effort as you humanly can is vital. Like, sitting around waiting for people to discover your game amidst the literal hundreds of games that are coming out a month uh, now that things like Kickstarter are, you know, so commonplace is just completely and utterly moronic. So... So you that. mean there are publishers that don't do that? I mean, tell us about these people. <laughs> there are certainly <laughs> publishers that do not believe in aggressive marketing or marketing at all. Um, and, I, you know, uh, per, I think I've only really been in board games since 2011. Uh, I was a Magic player my whole life. Um, I always had an interest in other games, but it was none of my friends really uh, played anything else other than magic, so I was just kind of stuck in a, you know, a tar pit that is that game. Um, but but from what I understand, like, they're, the industry, like, I'd say from what I heard, like, 2010 or before, like, 2008 is a much different landscape than what we see today. Um, I don't know, you. some of you guys have been into the hobby for longer than me, so you, you can vet that statement or not, uh, but I, uh, I mean, I think you just have to try really hard. I, I, I don't think that just being complacent and crapping out drivel over and over and over again is just going to get the job done. From a publisher, as a designer, I mean, you know, like Reiner Knizia could take a dump in a microwave and sell it for... Uh, thousand dollars a pop, but I... I believe I, that's his process. I think that's what he calls it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm rambling. No, 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 it's all right. Um, so, Jim, let's, let's, hook, let's, let's riff off of the whole marketing thing. Do you think that game publishers in the hobby industry do enough marketing? Who does it write? What could we do better to get the games out there to untapped markets? And do you have any strong opinions? And the answer is probably yes, <laughs> on how people should market games. Um, yeah, that's that's a whole ball of wax. That's a really big mouthful of ideas. I know. Um, first of all, I don't think that most people in the gaming industry know what marketing is, and I think even people that say that they're doing marketing aren't really doing marketing. They're shouting. They're doing PR. Um, they're doing community building. Mm-hmm. Um. A company like Fantasy Flight really doesn't do any marketing. They just post something on their website and news spreads across the internet. And news site, sites pick it up because it's Fantasy Flight. But yeah. if I did the same thing at my level, 
nobody would hear of it. So I have to do a press release or I have to go on websites where nobody cares about me like RPGNet, but I still have to go there and I have to post that I'm doing a Kickstarter. Um, and so this really isn't, I don't, I wouldn't call any of that marketing. I would call it just some sort of due diligence or busy work in order to just keep, pe keep people aware of who you are. Yeah, so keeping um, relevant. What's that? Keeping relevant. Yeah, yeah, keeping relevant. I mean, it's just sort of a, it's a PR machine. It's not a, a marketing machine. A marketing machine would be having a, a, a specific statement and a message and a brand that you're, to present either for all the things that you're doing or the new thing that you're doing. And I don't see a lot of that in the gaming industry. What I see is just more shouting. It's just a lot of shouting. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of look at me, look at me. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Well, I, I, I know both of you um, are experienced when it comes to Kickstarter, and I want to point this question uh, specifically to Travis, but uh, you clearly have been learning and growing and doing it better and better each, each time. I'm curious if you could share a little bit, again, especially talking about marketing, um, how to do a Kickstarter right, and, and why are so many people doing it wrong? What are they doing wrong? I mean, <laughs> one of the very first things I tell, I, mean, I, I was talking to a guy last night about this, because I, I just don't, this is a tangent, but I just, I don't have the time to just, people constantly come to me and ask, like, hey, can you help me out? Hey, can you do this? And then if they don't take any of my advice, at least some of my advice, I, I get very angry because I'm like, I feel like I wasted my time. And, well, I'm going to try something else. And then their Kickstarter fails or their manufacturing fails or something. And I'm like, look, I'm not, a, I'm not the best guy in the world at this, but I'm definitely getting better and better all the time. And I think a, a big – this is my number one thing. If you think your game is ready, wait six more months. Like, wait six more months. Don't – do not put your game up just because you're like, well, my uncle really loves it. And, you know, my nephew, who's four, it's his favorite game. And, uh, I mean, right now, things like Kickstarter are a vanity platform for hobbyists, and, you know, there's definitely different business models, like there's the boutique model, which is, like, guys who just kind of put things up and uh, here and there, or they put one game up a year, and it's just, like, a, it's a creative uh, medium or a creative platform for them to, to kind of put their stuff out into the world. And then there's people that are trying to do, like, the more corporatized thing. I mean, that's, I would say that my company is doing that. Like, we are trying to have a, you know, we're, we already are signing games into 2017. We have a schedule. We've just hired a couple employees. Um, so, I don't know. I think, number one, really take a hard, objective look at your game and think about it, you know? Like, I think, is it really ready? Uh, because I think a lot of people prematurely put things up. They don't have the, they haven't done the research, they haven't done the the work to get their game to where it needs to be from a, all the way from the ground up, from design to making their Kickstarter page look nice, etc. Okay, I, I kind of wanted to riff on what Jim was saying. I mean, specifically, you started talking about uh, you know what was what formed part of marketing and, and how uh, you know what's being done is not necessarily marketing. I wanted to see how much do you think publishers expect designers to get involved in community building, in marketing? Is there some kind of unwritten rule that designers in boutique games are supposed to be <laughs> involving themselves in community building? What, what are your thoughts on that? I think certainly at the boutique level, yeah. I, I, you, if you're working at the boutique level, you're doing it because you love what you're doing. You, you would never get into the boutique level to make a lot of money so I think a designer if I'll use magpie games as an example because they're sort of halfway between boutique and 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 uh, second tier or third tier game company um, but Mark Diaz Truman's really good at community building and then he attaches himself to these designers and these designers promote the heck out of these products because they want to see those Kickstarters succeed one because they want to get the game out there and two they're going to get a percentage of that money and so the more they're yammering about it, the better off. But I think if you're Eric Lang on Blood Rage, Blood Rage doesn't need Eric's voice because Cool Minis or Not is really good at shouting. Hmm. I like the distinction that you have between you know shouting and marketing. If we are to market, are we really... Are we preaching to the choir? Because that's all I see most companies do 
is sell to core demographic, core gamers already, people who would buy their product kind of no matter what. Um, how are we going to get out of that to untapped markets? What is the next untapped market? And, you know, what is, say, Action Phase going to do about that, Travis? Um, I mean, I think one of the things that we always try to do with our games is we, we try to find a kind of a greatest common factor element, but also try to show people something they haven't seen, be it a different vantage point of a cliche theme or um, uh, a totally new theme. Or, you know, we're, we're not under the delusion that we're uh, totally, you know, we're in innovating in every possible way. We're making, you know, we've created the equivalent of the next deck builder or something like that. So, oh, Dylan. Um, so, <laughs> so, uh, so I don't know. I mean, I think for us, like, a big part of of what we're trying to do is we're trying to listen to... We're, I try to kind of carpet recon and figure out what it is that people are wanting to see or, or, or even listen to what people are tired of seeing and try to find something new. I mean, like, I feel like, I feel like Dreamwall is a really new game. Like, I feel like the art is different. I feel like it's a 30-minute game that, like, makes your brain explode and you could teach it to a five-year-old and the alpha gamer could play it and, like, next level the crap out of everybody. I mean, it's it's really kind of fires on all the, the different cylinders, and I think that that's... Little things like that is what's helping helping our company succeed instead of saying, hey, let's just crap out a co-op fantasy dungeon crawler with minis and custom dice, like, just over and over again. All right, let's jump right into that then. Jim... Uh, you just heard it, you know, Travis talking about the gluttony of uh, mini dungeon crawling, right. deck building, you know, specific kind of games. You know, what what are you sick and tired of seeing when it comes to the same game just kind of rehashed over and over again? And, you know, what when are we going to see the end of this? Just kind of recycle the same old thing. I... I think when it stops making money, probably is when we'll see the end of it, right? When are superhero movies? When are superhero movies going to go away? When are when are remakes of movies going to go away? I think um, it's really easy to make a dungeon crawler, right? That's the the, the first thing anybody goes to when they want to make something, and then after that, they make some sort of farming game, Euro farming game, um, and these these tropes are so tired and they're ubiquitous and. I get made fun of all the time because I make these really weird, obscure uh, designs about things that people don't even necessarily they would want to play. And I get asked, well, why don't you make a dungeon crawler? I said, there's 700 dungeon crawlers out there. Why would I want to get involved in that market? There's already enough choices. I'm not going to add the 701st and say, oh, yeah, pick me. That's that's silly. I'd rather make a game where you're illegal immigrants in the United States trying to make a living <laughs> for yourself. Dylan would probably really like that game. That that's a game that I don't think anybody else has made yet. I think I'm the only person with an illegal immigrant role playing game. <laughs> I actually that's really cool. I I love offbeat <laughs> topics, uh, but also like this kind of leads into the the concept. But is is this just like publishers targeting some kind of fanboy effect? Like is as long as we can find a game about zombies to fill this niche, then we'll be able to you know pull all the fanboys in and they'll defend us online and they'll say, oh no, this is a really new twist on you know dot dot dot. So I'll I'll turn this over to Travis and like how much of this uh, how much of marketing online is is simply finding that group of fanboys who are going to shout down anyone who goes against the game and, you know, realize that that's where you're going to mine your money from. I mean, I, I certainly, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't feel like really any of our games fit in that uh, genre, so I can't speak to having sway over people in that capacity. I mean, it certainly... You must, you must see examples of people. Yeah, you must see it. Sure, sure. I mean, like, you know, I think Cool Mini or not, Kickstarters would be a good example of that. And I mean, and I, I really, like, we're very good friends with Cool Mini. Absolutely. Um, mm -hmm. like, I think they're possible. I mean, Travis, you're the, the mega-me of Spencer. What's that? You're oh, yeah, like I'm Spencer's mega-me. Mega I know, I know. I, I am. Um, he, <laughs> I want him to live in my tummy forever. Um, <laughs> he, 
Yeah, I mean, I just, I guess I don't get it. Like, I, 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 I don't understand how people do this. I don't understand why people do this. It doesn't interest me. I mean, I feel like, like, okay, a company like Fantasy Flight, I feel like someone at Fantasy Flight played Hero Quest and they just never got over it. Like, all their games are just, it's Hero Quest. It's Hero Quest or role playing games for lazy people. Like, I haven't played a role-playing game in a very long time, and I, I I have respect for role-playing games. I just don't have the time for them, or I don't make the time for them. Like, I kind of like the little... Jim, Jim's, like, fuming right now. Well, like... <laughs> yes, I, everyone I, should like what I like. <laughs> well, I like the a la carte gaming experience. I like to be able to sit down and kind of, you know, uh, piecemeal the experience. And um, to me, like, these games, like... all, And it's, like, just countless games where it's the same thing. It's like, hey, what's the coolest what's the coolest thing about role playing? To me it's making your own character. It's playing in a world. It's not like here is a pre written story, here's a pre made character. All the all the creative decisions are made for you go. Like it's a it's a it's a bad video game in a box and people love it. They they devour it and I I I don't get it. I mean I just I don't understand it. It's Dylan, I'm sorry, I went off on a tangent but I love tangents. You have you have immunity from that. Um, I'm not sorry. <laughs> let's talk about um, pet peeves in the industry. So, Jim, what is your biggest, you know, sore thumb of a stinking pet peeve about the board game industry or game industry in general? Uh, that's funny. Even though it's diplomatic immunity, I can't tell you what my number one one my number one is because I'll be run out of the industry with pitchforks and torches. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm really intrigued. <laughs> yeah, you got it. You got it. I, I think my number two would probably be the, the, the glut of casual gamers that don't respect the passion of hobbyists, and so everything has to get dumbed down for them. I don't think I need to say anything else. I think that... Interesting. That is really I, interesting. No, I, before I ask Travis my question, I'm curious, Travis, would you, what would you answer to that question? Your pet peeve. <laughs> Didn't we get into like a three-hour conversation about this the other night, Daryl? Yeah, actually, I was hoping you would go there. <laughs> um, I don't really have a very big amount of tolerance or respect for what I deem the new school of game design. Like, I actually, I kind of blame Sin and Jay. I feel like Sin and Jay are the only ones that can tactfully do it, and uh, they've created a monster. Like, uh, <laughs> explain, the, explain the crisis. I know what he's talking about. So, I'm sitting in my booth, and hey, I have a game. Someone comes up, hey, I have, a, I have some games. Would you like to see them? Sure. And like, they show me something, and and really what they what they have is they have a concept, and they don't have a game. And their definition of development is my definition of design, and they want to sell me their concept, have me make it, and then have me not only make like not only finish the design or like you know actualize the design. They want me to then do all the logistical formality crap to make their game into a product, and then pay them to do that. So. Uh, I mean, if I had more time, I could make a dozen games a year. Like I'm mired in logistical crap, which which eats up a lot of my time. I mean, I don't even have I don't have a game coming out this year. You know, I had like three or four come out in the last year and a half, and now I don't have one because all I'm doing is helping make other people's games. So that that particular thing irritates me. That the sort of entitled laziness of people who think like oh I, i'm going to i can make every, i'm going to make a game it's it's what i call the uh, proliferation of mediocrity it's like generations ago people were masters at one thing and now everyone is just crappy at everything i've got a camera on my phone i'm a photographer i've got a garage band on my laptop i'm a music engineer no one is good, truly good at anything because no one ever wants to take the time to in the to cultivate the discipline to be good at something. And it, it, it is an affront to everything that I have done to get to where I am at in this. Well, hey, back in the uh, good old days, if you wanted to be an astronomer, you started by grinding your own lenses. So, you know, there's a certain amount of time investment in, in just getting into something. Nowadays, you don't have to do anything to get into something. You spend a few bucks, you got yourself a webcam, and you are a photographer. Somebody makes a lens grinding app, and you're yeah. <laughs> 
absolutely, absolutely. There's totally an app for that. Totally. Jim, is, Jim is truly old school. He doesn't even have electricity. Yeah. <laughs> look at him. Jim is hiding in the shadows. Don't look at him. You can't there. look at him. That's awesome. You can find him if you want to. I'm waiting for like Osama bin Laden to walk by in the background and get a cup of water. Hey, hey. <laughs> so along this idea of what I like to call half-baked, this is what I, I, I deem Travis's... Uh, um, frustration with the the new school is these half-baked designs. I'm curious, Jim, what do you feel about, like, do you see this phenomenon happening of people having half-baked games and thinking they're designers? Do you see this as a problem, or do you see this as people trying? Um, yeah, I. nobody knows what it takes. Nobody sees the work that it takes, and, and this goes back to all the shouting, right? You have everybody on Twitter 24-7 yammering and yammering and yammering, so it looks like you just can crap out a game because they're always talking and they're never working. My buddy Daryl Hardy has to spend two-thirds of his day talking about game design and then actually one-third of his day designing, and I, I couldn't live like that. I couldn't operate under those constraints, and I think if the if people continue to see us operating that way, they think, well, then I can do it in a half an hour. They don't realize I've been designing for 20 years, that I have this bevy of knowledge about, well, that just doesn't work, and that will never work, and this, I don't need to explain to you why it doesn't work. It's been tried a hundred times. Let's move on. But people come with these half-baked ideas, and then they want free advice on how to turn it into something. And that really, I'm so glad that Travis brought this up, because this is really... Uh, this sticks in my craw. This whole idea that, oh, I've got this idea. It's kind of I got this idea. It's kind of like Cards Against Humanity. Stop right there. Just throw it away. Cards Against Humanity has been made. They don't need another one. Stop trying to compete with that thing. Come up with something new. Don't talk to me until you've got it. I'm not going to develop Cards Against Humanity for you, and then watch you get sad when your sales are less than one percent of theirs. Well, let's, let's kind of cross the streams here and say, like, how much of this... Don't do uh, that. We were told not to. <laughs> Come on, this is Gozer, man. <laughs> we'll cross these two ideas. Like, is this, is this just the amount of casuals who are in the, the, uh, the industry or, or purchasing some games in the industry who are dumbing down our, uh, our games that are affecting the... Uh, the amount of people who think that they can actually design a game, like what what do you think this is, and and where does an actual designer like when when do you judge that a designer has chops? I'll turn this over to Travis. I I will say this I anymore I almost prefer to work with inexperienced designers because they are willing to put more work in and they're they're malleable than someone who is kind of come up in this particular mindset that um, I'm talking about and and you know and I know some there are companies that that prefer this there are companies that they want to buy your concept they will develop it they'll put your name on the box and then you're out of the loop um, we are much more hands-on like we're currently working with a, a game that we really want to sign and then it's kind of like the designer is kind of pushing all the work off to the developer you know I had to call the guy today I'm like look you have to do this it is your game. If you don't do it, then your name will be underneath his name on the box. Okay, that's how it'll work. That that's how it's going to work. Or we won't do it at all. So those are your options. And you know, I didn't say it as nasty as that, but but like essentially, like hey, you know, you can't just go cool. They're interested in me, so now I'm going to start making my next, uh, you know mental post-it fart uh, and crap it out into the world for some other, some other unsuspecting boob to snatch it up and, and pump it into the, the the world. And I mean, I do think that there, you know, particularly we were talking, Daryl, about companies like, I think, IDW. I would also say AEG is one of those companies where they just, every time I talk to someone, they're like, oh, I just sold a game to AEG. Oh, I just sold a game to IDW. Oh, I just sold a game to IDW. Oh, I just sold a game to AEG. It's like, oh, I just took a crap, and AEG scoops it out of the toilet, and they're putting it in a box in a year. It's like, I, I don't get it. I mean, it's, it's, it's really weird, and I think that's helping to foster this mentality, and, you know, it's to kind of draw a parallel. I, I was a musician. Like, you know, I lived in New York City. I was a professional drummer. I played for the majors, whatever, and Back whenever I was coming up as a musician, you used to have to call someone on a landline that you never met. <laughs> like, you would get their phone number from a person you barely knew. You would call them and you'd say, hey, we want to book a tour. 
and and will you do a show for us? And they would just say yes and give you an address, and then you would like drive there in a few months, and you would just hope that everything was okay. And that's how the world worked. That's how the world worked. And then fast forward five years later, the internet hits, chat rooms and all this stuff really get popular, and I hear guys saying, yeah, we're going on tour this weekend. I go, wait, you just use the word tour to describe two weekend shows? I do that every week. Like, that's part of, that's part of the, the job, man. It's like, yeah, we're going on tour, 35 minutes from my house. Uh, like, <laughs> We're playing the Holiday Inn Lounge. Oh, uh, yeah. The bar is lowered and lowered and lowered because of technology, and what, what it is is it's a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy, right? Like it's, it's, a, it, it, it's, it's a person that's not very talented showing a less talented person that they can do this and encouraging them and so on and so forth until, you know, like a, a turtle is making games or something. Yeah, you definitely have something there in terms of um, the, I don't know, dumbing down. And I think Jim alluded to this as well, um, that it, maybe it's the audience as well. Not that the audience is particularly dumb, but that the the proliferations of hobby into a not exactly mass market, but into a wider market has led to a different style of game than we might have seen 10, 15 years ago um, being popular. The poop in a box game. Pardon me, Dylan? The poop in a box game. The poop in a box game. The poop in a box game we're talking about? Or exploding kittens or (laughs) anything like that, right? Um, But that's that's where shouting is more important than than producing, right? You can order a piece of art, put a logo on it, and say this pooping in a box is going to be coming out next summer. But you don't have to make it. Right. So you wanted to jump in and, and uh, tag on to what ta- Travis was saying. Why don't you go ahead and do that? Yeah, I can't believe how wrong Travis started and then how right he ended. <laughs> so I thought what you ended with was fantastic, Travis, but uh, I'm from a c- completely different philosophy. I don't. At a certain point, I want the designer hands-off, and I want to develop it because if you're developing your own work, you're only going to be delivering a one-note product. I was the developer on Thunderstone, and I'm the one that added the levels to the characters. The levels to the characters didn't exist before. And had I not come in and just taken the work away and said, you're done, I'm taking over now, that wouldn't have gotten added. And that's a bad example because uh, Mike's a big name in the industry and so he he uh, he develops a lot, he designs and develops a lot of stuff. Um, but there are lots of other little games that I've developed over the years where it's me coming in and doing all the finishing work because if I leave it to the designer, the product's never going to get finished. And so I come from a very different school of thought about how you develop. I, I guess, Jim, just to, uh, to kind of elaborate a little bit on that, th- this is more a product of the people who don't know what the F they're doing saying, this is my game, and they're kind of onto something, or they have like a, usually it's like a, a mechanic, a mechanism or something, or like the theme is cool or something. There's something tangible to grab onto, but it's not enough there, right? Like, or they're just terrible at math, or they're terrible at balancing or whatever. I certainly don't, I certainly see what you're saying, and and do we, we do take that away. What I'm saying is, in this particular example I gave about me calling the designer today, I can't sign the game because the game isn't really a game yet. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. Once it's a game, I want him gone, and then, like, we'll... I mean, like, and that's... that's Once we get into that last, you know, we, what we call the last 20%, like, we, we are pretty, like, closed off, and we just sort of handle that in-house, and then we just loop the designer in to let them know where things are going. But, like, I'm talking about trying to foster relationships here with new designers that, you know... They've got good intentions and they've got the motivation, but they don't know how to get to where um, they're going. Jim, go. Sorry. No, it's okay. Um, the last thing I, I have—I've never worked with IDW, so I can't speak to them. But there's a pretty much an unwritten rule amongst all A and B level designers, which is you don't give anything good to AEG. You give them your C level product because they're going to screw it up anyway, so it doesn't matter. Um, and everybody kind of knows that, and we joke about it because. Um, they pass on all the good stuff because there's nobody there with any passion. That's, that's interesting. Um, oh, uh, Jim, what do you foresee, or what is a possible roadblock for the industry? What do you think might 
if it goes down the wrong way or goes we go down the wrong road, what would set the industry back from where it is now? What would make consumers say, you know, no, I don't want to play board games or card games or RPGs anymore? And, you know, what, if anything, is going to perhaps put small businesses, small publishers out of business if it happens? Um, I can answer the second part pretty easily. I think... Yeah. Kickstarter is going to be the future of whether or not anybody can do this anymore, right? As long as big companies keep sneaking in there and making these big products, and I'll use Kevin Symbieta from his Robotech Kickstarter, that's going to that's gonna break the camel, right? If he doesn't produce that, if he doesn't get all those pieces out, there's going to be a lot of outrage against Kickstarter. And Big companies coming in there and using it are sort of taking the biggest pieces of the pie. People can only spend so much money on Kickstarter, mm -hmm. and little guys need it to survive. So that's certainly going to be the future of smaller companies and boutique companies. I think technology is always going to be the thing that scares the board game industry, but people like to socialize. We're seeing sort of a, what would you call it, a renaissance or a retrograde of people moving away from their computers and moving back into coffee shops and hanging out with one another again. And you're seeing these game events going on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday nights and game stores and coffee houses where people want to game with one another face-to-face -face because video games can't do everything. Totally. And I think because video games are so linear and they're so binary – as soon as video games can stop being so binary or so cost prohibitive and they can put out good stuff cheaply, I think maybe then board games will have to get nervous. Uh, I have a question from Lance the Undead Viking, uh, the the uh, voice of reason on the Alaboom show. The, the I can't keep did, going. Did, did Lance give you that? Did Lance actually quote that, that <laughs> intro? The voice of reason. The voice of reason. Oh God, Lance. On the album show. No, um, he has this question for Travis. Of course he does. Is there? Any, Why am I not on the album? Are there any real new ideas out there? Uh, sure. Um, the the guy that Sin introduced us to at Origins, uh, his game is coming up. It's the third game we're doing this year, and he certainly, well, he he addressed issues with deck building very logically. And now the game has changed since quite a bit since Sin introduced it to us, but uh, the core conceits of of that and the things that he wanted to address about the the genre of deck building, which is clearly one of the most tired things uh, ever, uh, are are genius. They're, like, really smart. So, I mean, I, I think that they're... Sure, there's some things out there. I mean, I, I think right now we're, we're deep... We're, we're neck deep in the retread. Uh, even designers, like, revisiting old games, old designs, and, and trying to just make, like, a, an updated version of them. We're seeing that, like, you know... Jim appears to be frozen in space and time. <laughs> I uh, I actually want to turn kind of our our next. We we normally have a last question that we we say you know what what kind of advice would you give to designers? And in this case, we're talking more about the the publisher side. So I want to I want to turn this on its head a little bit. Uh, Jim, you were talking about uh, Kickstarter and basically what I would call the democratization of market access for games. Uh, at the same time, we're having enormous mergers at the highest level of kind of game production, and there seems to be a great divergence here. Is the kind of mid-range, not too, not too dumb, not too crazy boutique game dying in this in this divergence? And to what degree is this kind of democratization of market access playing into the dumbing down of of games in general? Uh, I have a, a little card game that I want to publish here in the next couple months, and the cost to ship it to the United States is more than the cost to make it in China. That's, that is entirely true. And <laughs> that is going to stop me from being able to, to, to do it without putting an obnoxious price tag on the Kickstarter. And it it could have been a little ten or fifteen dollar game, and now I've got to make it a thirty dollar game, just so that I can have enough units left over to sell after the fact. I think I'm answering your question. Um, 
And so what ends up happening is that you can't make the game the way you want to make a game anymore. You either have to find a way to make it as cheaply as possible and then package it with a bunch of other stuff in China and ship 20 games to the United States at the same time, or you have to come up with all this fuller, filler crap so that you can create the deluxe edition for the Kickstarter so that the fans can pay the prorated rates for their version of the game, even though when it goes in stores, it's going to be $5, $10 cheaper. Jim, was that directed at me? That was not. Should it have been? I, I'll point at you now if you'd like and say it's all Travis's fault. We in fact do do a we we have do a deluxe version, but it, like you know a nine dollar price difference is usually what we do. And we right. try to and there's usually it's like an upgraded component or something that's well, just that's kind of a Kickstarter essential now, isn't it? <coughs> sad but true, you know. It's, yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know that it's necessarily sad. Uh, it, it, it's a way to. I mean, as long as things like cool stuff exist, and, you know, when you're trying to, the exact type of game you're talking about, Jim, the game that, say, you get it to 20 bucks, well, that's the perfect game to flesh out your $100 order when you got your $245 game, you know? like you get your free shipping. Yeah, to get the free shipping. So what we try to do is we try to, because some people will say, well, why would I pay a dollar less now? when I can have it when it comes out in retail? And the answer is, well, we'll give you something that you can't get in retail, but it's not going to appreciably change the game. It'll just make your experience nicer and show that you, for supporting the game, got, like, the extra cool, better version of the game. Right. But is there not a point that the publisher should just say, like, that's the game I make on my dime and sell at, cons or to stores as that market share like maybe there's a certain point where this is the this is the problem be, that game can't be made on kickstarter this is the problem with what kickstarter's become right it used to be a patron model for people that wanted to see things happen now it's become a pre-sales model yeah. and everybody's been trained to expect something more for their dollar yeah, 100%. and if you're if you're that cynical or jaded consumer that says well then why would i even bother buying it well Maybe it's never going to come out if you don't help me produce it now. Yeah. That that yeah. that really should be the answer coming from a lot of these people, but that's not a diplomatic way of saying it. And so for, none of these publishers actually say this. So, well, well, you have okay, the immunity, so you, you can say it. I'll give you. I thank you for the immunity. I'll just give you a brown meeple instead of a blue meeple like everybody else is getting. Will that make you happy? Oh, brown meeple, yay! It's that well, entitlement, right? There I, is, I there is wanna, about that. There's no reason to bring race into this, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> Dylan, you had an observation, sir. Well, I wanted to say that we've tied it up actually pretty neatly because um, when we were talking about Kickstarter having to be doing all of these various things and the fact that uh, we're shaving the costs of every single component uh, of every single game down as, as far as we possibly can in order to be able to ship and actually have a reasonable Kickstarter price, in effect, we're attempting to use Kickstarter as our marketing platform, and that's the only marketing platform for those who have shaved off so much price from all of their product. Um, and it is appealing to that uh, that mass um, kind of buzz effect. That in we've we've gone from you know marketing to uh, the cost of production to marketing again because each one informs the other, and just like in, in economics, cause and effect uh, don't necessarily follow one another. I don't know if anybody that's doing these Kickstarters is costing out the the 9% that Kickstarter takes or the amount of time to make the video, the cost to make the video, the cost to print those first components, the cost to make those graphics. Those all go against your, your profit margin too. Um, and then shipping. A lot of people don't plan for shipping. I can't count the times. I'm, I'm currently buddies with a guy who has a game and he just went nuts with the stretch goals, and literally the game is going to have 22 punch sheets in it. And that you understand... be insane to ship. Do you understand what 22 punch sheets is? At 2 millimeters, 3 millimeters? Thick, thick, yeah. And, with, and that's not even... And it has something like 1,000 cards, and I mean like... And he made a lot of money on his Kickstarter... <laughs> But I don't know that he made a lot of money. He just gathered a lot of cost. If yeah. he's smart, he'll just flee with a suitcase, and <laughs> that's that's the only way to do it at that point. Once you promise that much, a suitcase full <laughs> of 
of uh, punch sheets. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Travis, last rant is to you, my friend. Jim got his going. So um, let's uh, let's ask you a question to get you started on the rant, and then you can have the last last say before we go to the after show. So um, we know that you don't like half-baked games. We know that you don't like companies that don't market. Um, what uh, what else in the game world are you having problems with? What keeps you up at night? Oh boy! There's like some. There's like a topic I really would have loved to have. Uh, have talked about, but, like, the potential backlash for my company is... And this isn't anything about, like, gender or anything like like hot topics. It's 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 about relationships between uh, retail and Kickstarter companies. Um, but I don't think I want to go there for fear of reprisal. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, think, I think ultimately just mediocrity ruling the day is, is what I, bothers me the most. Like I, I, I am what I deem a maker, and I like to make things. And and like whenever I make a thing, I always try to, I try to make sure that I'm not only that I'm motivated to make the thing for a good reason, but also that the thing that I'm making is worthwhile and should exist. And I just don't think that's a consideration most people take. Um, that might sound a little esoteric, I don't know, but uh, it is certainly something that bothers me. It's just like, hey, what if there was a game where, you know, there was a two-sided die? Cool, make it, bank it, put it in the hopper, let's go. Like, you know, like that's that's literally concepting and design for some people. I, um, I, think, I think you're an artist. I do guess mean? I don't know. I mean, the, like I said, I'm not making things, but I'm helping people to get their games out into the world. And like I do, like I do the the uh, art direction, and and you know, like I retheme basically everything that comes through the door. And you know, everything that we've done so far has been successful. We've had one game that barely crossed the finish line, but everything else has done very well. And uh, so we're doing something right. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. Um, I, I guess, yeah, to, to kind of go back to a point, I would say one of the things that drives me the most absolute crazy of anything is when people ask for my advice and then they don't take it, and I, I waste my time. I, I had some people recently get a hold of me and say, hey, we, we would love to meet up with you guys and pick your brain, and this was my reply. You've just sent me the email equivalent of a person that I knew in middle school, and I just so you know, I'm, I'm almost 40, getting a hold of me and saying, hey, what have you been up to? Like... <laughs> I don't know how to answer this question. How do I make your game not suck, or how do I make <laughs> it successful? And like, in order for me to do that, it's a very involved time and process. And quite frankly, I should probably be getting compensated for that time. Uh, and you know, it's time I take away from my family. But, it's but it's, it's, it's my exposure. It's exposure. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna pay you an exposure bucks. Where can I redeem these? It's. But do, you, do, you know, do you know what I mean? Yeah, well, I know exactly totally. what you mean. Yeah, totally. Totally. Um, so, D Daryl, why don't you wrap this up so we can get onto the after show? Absolutely. Uh, and I uh, will call up stuff. Yeah. So I'll send uh, post up some stuff. I just want to say thank you first of all to both Jim and to Travis for being on our show. Always a pleasure. I think we may have oversold the idea that they would be argumentative with each other, but. I just love that uh, these two uh, men do not hold back. They say what they see, and I know ultimately both of them are doing that because they are passionate about the game industry, and they're trying to make it a better industry. And so I really want to encourage you, if you haven't already, look up both, uh, both of their uh, projects on Kickstarter. You can search post-world games to find gym stuff, or you can search action phase games to find uh, stuff by Travis and the action phase games crew. Uh, please uh, support them, see what they're doing, and uh, if you have a half-baked game, please send it to Travis, because um, he would love to see it. And, uh, <laughs> He'll send it straight to AEG. And, uh, and from Chris Leader, he said, he said to make sure to remind uh, Travis uh, about his favorite game role for it. 
So on that note, uh, we're, we're going to close. Uh, you can uh, find us on Twitter. You can find us on YouTube. You can find us on iTunes. Uh, you can find our website, themeeplesyrupshow.com. We appreciate your support, and we encourage you to keep making great games. We look forward to playing your games soon. Have a good night. Thank <laughs> you.